Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Loudon Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 142. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 142 you're listening to. Damn it, I just spilled my coffee. (laughs) That's not good. Here I was getting all excited about this cup of coffee. Okay, I didn't spill that much. It's not that bad. Welcome, everybody. Anyhow, my guest today is Tim Randolph, who's a musician, songwriter, and record producer. And uh, after producing for several indie bands and a variety of studios... Uh, including uh, Nico Vega's debut album in 2007. He's gone on to produce and uh, do some co-writing with uh, Imagine Dragons. He's also an, a multi-instrumentalist, and he's toured you know, all over the, all over the world, most notably playing with uh, The Killers. So uh, Tim Randolph coming up here on the Working Class Audio podcast. We spoke from his new house that he's building, kind of up in the mountains, uh, we'll, we'll, we talk about it, but like, as I was looking at him and I didn't do a video of this, but as I was looking at him, it was just like, you know, two by four framing all around and that was it. And yeah, you'll find out all about the, uh, the building aspect of, uh, of his world. So, uh, yeah, Tim Randolph coming up. Speaking of video, as I was just mentioning, if you're a longtime listener, you know that I've gone down the path of trying to do this video thing and just got my ass kicked from it and was like, bah, I'm not doing video. Well, I kind of, I'm back. I'm doing it again. Yeah, I know. I'm trying it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Really the crux of it came out of using this new video uh, service called zoom.us. You know, I've tried Skype. I've tried Google Hangouts. I've tried FaceTime. And this isn't a paid, you know, endorsement or advertisement whatsoever. It's just, this has been my experience. You know, I do these Friday morning um, mastermind calls with a group of guys and we started using Zoom and it just was much more stable. Uh, You can record the call, you can record it to the cloud or on your computer. It's just, it's got a lot of options and it just works better. So after using that with uh, Chris Salem from WCA number, uh, oh, come on, what was that? WCA 141, that actually came out pretty good. So I was like, huh, maybe I should jump back into video and turn this into a, uh, you know, have a video version of this up on YouTube. So so that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're not doing it for this show because uh, Tim and I recorded this uh, a few weeks ago and we just didn't have the video together at that point in time. So I apologize. There's going to be no video for this one. But keep an eye out. Head over to the YouTube site. There's a link on the Working Class Audio page. You know, there's a little icon for YouTube. Go on over and subscribe. Putting new new effort into that and trying to really make it uh, something cool for you. So really just trying to add more video in general to the whole Working Class Audio, you know, group of content, I guess you could say. So, well, it's been incredibly hot and um, it's been 106. Yeah. We've had a heat advisory. Tell you, this uh, this climate thing is just getting out of control. It's 106 in Lafayette, California. It's been 104 in San Francisco. That's unheard of. So um, I do want to mention, I, I failed to mention uh, on the last show, uh, the whole thing going on in Houston, Texas with the flooding. Obviously, that's incredibly devastating to everybody there. And my heart goes out to everybody there. That's That's a I can't fathom the situation. I really can't. All kinds of wrong could happen in that situation. So I don't have a real clear answer as far as like, if you wanted to donate money, you know, there's a lot of people talking about that. Obviously you want to be very careful about where you donate your money and uh, who you donate it to, because you want the money to reach people that need it. And so be cautious, be mindful of that. If we come up with a way to do that, we will certainly let you know. I haven't really 
got a sense of what the story is with our recording brothers and sisters who are all, you know, we're, we're always rooting for everybody, but, you know, in particular, obviously, because of the niche of the show, we're, you know, of course, rooting for the, our recording brothers and sisters as well. And in, in particular, those people, just so we can help them out as best we can. So if you have, you know, news you want to share, please share it on the Facebook page. Uh, let us know. If you got a lead on a place to donate, please let me know. That would be great. Yeah. Incredibly tough time. Incredible flooding in India going on, of course, monsoon season. So our brothers and sisters in India, you know, they're having a tough time, man. Keep your head up, everybody. It's a, it's a tough time. And if you're not going through any kind of disaster like that, well, consider yourself lucky. So uh, yeah, I need a cup of coffee for that one. Oh, I happen to have one right here. Mm. Uh, I have noticed many of you have kind of slowed down on giving me guest suggestions. I just want to reassure you, if you've got a guest suggestion and uh, somebody that's got, you know, good amount of experience and uh, wealth of knowledge that you think would be cool to to hear about, please, Matt at workingclassaudio.com or, uh, you know, the Facebook page seems to be a favorite of everybody's to communicate. So however you like to communicate, yeah, do it send it over. Let me know who you got. And of course, a, uh, a shout out to our friends over at gearsluts.com. Again, you know, we are sponsoring the uh, Audio Life subforum on there. So have a peek over at gearsluts.com. And uh, our friends over at Universal Audio, of course, as I have mentioned on the last show, have extended the uh, Apollo. And I think I mispronounced it actually last time. And so let's, for once and for all, let's make sure I'm doing it right. It was the, uh, I'm going over there now. Can you tell? I don't know if you can hear the clicking of the keys. Okay. Uh, the Apollo Rack Dream Studio. I don't know. Sometimes I think I've been calling it the Apollo Dream Rack Studio. Either way, the Apollo Rack Dream Studio promotion ends on September 30th. They have extended it once again. Uh, you can get up to $3,500 in plugins free from Studer, AKG, and more with Apollo Rack Purchase. So please do that. Head on over to uaudio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. and uh, Or you could go over to the Working Class Audio site and, of course, click on the banner on the right-hand side for Universal Audio and check that out. Almost got the desk thing nailed down. We'll see. I'm slow to move, very slow to move on things like this. So as it stands, I'm still sitting here behind my old Ikea desk that they don't make anymore that is super simple and it's overcrowded. It's overrun with uh, this, uh, this, these control services. I've got a soft tube uh, console one and an Avid Artist mix and this Slate Raven and, oh man, it's just nuts. Everything's going to change. So we'll see what happens. I mentioned it time and time again. If you do like the show, I implore you. If you could go over to iTunes into your account and say, hey, I love the show, whatever, you know, make it, make it, make a nice comment. If you have something nice to say, if you don't steer clear of it, I wouldn't go near it with a 10 foot pole. If you have something bad to say, anyhow, that's it. Let's, uh, I think it's time. The coffee is, we can't let the coffee grow cold. So let's get on over to our interview with Mr. Tim Randolph here on the working class audio podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. I'm a fan. That's what I had heard. Oh, cool. Your manager had mentioned that. I want to go back a little bit instead of starting with right now, which I usually start with like right now, only because I Googled it, Seven Willow Street Theater in Port Chester, New York. Yeah. You mixing front of house for local and national acts, 1996 to, to 98. Sounds about right. I think it closed in 99. Oh, you're familiar with it. Well, only through Google. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah. I'm an expert. You're like, it closed in 97. So this is not <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, interesting history of that place, about 250 to 300 seat capacity. Does that sound about right? Yep. Matinee shows as well as nighttime shows. I did. Yeah. They had like the hardcore matinee on Sunday. We did that. A lot of New York hardcore bands came through there. But yeah. Yeah. Different stuff. I did, you know, dead cover bands. What was that experience like? And where were you at skill wise as you came into there? Like day one on the job. What had been your experience prior to that in 96? It's funny with the resume because I think that was like the first item. But actually prior to that, I had done a fair amount of recording. Like I started, I think it was about freshman year in high school. We figured out the, the ADAT, that was the beginning of, of the ADAT, ADAT Mackie world. So we would rent, I had a guitar teacher, we rented a bus and ADATs and the, like freshman year in high school, we started making our records at home. That was what, 92, 93. So by 
by 98, I had, you know, I knew my way around a console. And actually, the dude, the sound guy just called me and he was like, man, I can't make it tonight. You got to go there. Just trust me. You'll you'll figure it out. Like there was nobody there to even show me what was up. But, you know, I played enough shows at that point. I made playing all through high school. So kind of knew the deal. I think it was Joe Ciccarelli. He showed up on a session for Frank Zappa and the main engineer couldn't make it. And I think Frank said, all right, I guess you're the engineer today. Right, so, right. You know, it's it's situations like that where you really get your ass kicked but you also really it kind of kind of tells who you are at that moment and what the future might hold for you it was fun and uh, i think i did all right and the guy came out the guy fred who owned it and he's like sounds good kid i don't think i was old enough to drink i think i was i don't know 18 19 huge amount of people that played there anthrax yeah, David yeah. burn marilyn manson ton of people a lot of hardcore bands too from new york during those hardcore matinees interesting you know Back then, there were clubs everywhere, mm -hmm. and um, there was a place called The Beat, where like Smashing Pumpkins played. I mean, this was like a tiny, tiny venue. So as there was everywhere at that time, there were like a little live music thing there in, in Port Chester. So your early days had a combination of, you know, doing kind of the self-guided recording thing. You're a musician. You play drums, bass, and guitar. Is that correct? Guitar was was the yeah my my first instrument. Then I kind of switched to bass because uh, out of necessity. <laughs> mm -hmm. I always was just kind of interested in doing everything. So my brother played drums, and you know drums were were around. So early on, I was I was bitten by the recording bug, but I was also a drummer, and I kind of made the decision to go down the drummer path for the first part of my life, and. It seems like you have done both because I'm looking at this list of it's it's like a bullet point history of things you've done. And you've kind of like did a little bit of both of the, these things. You worked at Tin Pan Alley Studios uh, in Manhattan. Tell me about that. Um, well, that was interesting. That was um, OK. So like, yeah, right after that, that seven, that seven Willow Street thing, which I think my t my like takeaway from that was kind of that live sound, at least at clubs. It's just such a rough life, you know, hours. Mm. It's like up till three, waking up at one or <laughs> whatever. So I think I was just at that point, I think I shifted, you know, more towards the studio thing. I just had moved to New York with a friend, moved to Manhattan. Yeah, I just needed, needed a job. Where did you move from? Well, I grew up in Connecticut, uh, like Fairfield County. My dad had always lived in the city or since I was like eight. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that much of a move. It was kind of down the street <laughs> but yeah i just needed a job and my friend this guy matt white he had been working there at the door they needed another guy it was just like you know you're six dollar an hour working the phones and then also kind of transitioning into assisting they heard some stuff i'd done and they, they knew that that's what i wanted to do so they were cool and they just yeah, basically, I got the the all the stuff you know, all the stuff no one else wanted to do. What like cleaning toilets and? I mean, I did that. I just remember a lot of trips to Dwayne Reed. That was the thing. Go to Dwayne Reed, get some paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, when I actually would get into a, to to engineer, because um, uh -huh. yeah, I actually don't remember doing that much assisting. I mean, it was it was a funny studio because it was based around eight ads and, and an eight bus at Mackey. But this guy, Matt, Matt Wells, do you know? Mm -mm. He was a tech at the magic shop and um, he had a whole, uh, I think, repair shop and stuff um, underneath it and had been collecting gear forever. So there was like Mackie, 8 bus, then like 41176s, pull techs, LA3As, all sorts of stuff, which was just a very bizarre. Certainly now someone would find it very odd. We did have one Neve preamp in like a in like a uh, what is it an ammunition box. <laughs> um, as far as the stuff, no one else wanted to do. I mean, like I remember I did a wedding bands demo, and I did some punk rock kids. I mean, just the sessions that people, other people, didn't want to do. And so then you you did a bit of touring because it seems like you've toured as a drummer, you've toured as a bass player. Even now, I'm really interested in doing a, a bunch of different things. You know, it's hard for me to just like pin down. I mean, I love. It's been a lot of just production, writing, and recording recently, but you know, I'd love to get out and do live stuff. So, so yeah, I think back then I was just trying to trying to find my feet, and just you know, as a musician, you just kind of take whatever you, you, you whatever you can get as you're as you're come you know coming up. So definitely, you try you try all kinds of different things. 
I see these little glimmers of little links in the chain that lead to more high profile things. So what I want to do is I want to jump to right now and what you've been doing lately with Imagine Dragons. I mean, you co-wrote and you produced uh, Mouth of the River. I'll make it up to you. Uh, right. You also co-wrote and produced uh, Levitate. Right. For the uh, pa- for the Passengers movie. Passengers huh. soundtrack, yeah. 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 Um, well, basically, yeah, as far as that whole thing, because, you know, as you know, like, I didn't write those songs, you know, a week before they came out. You know, it's like Dan and I started writing together. Um, it was really through his wife, Nico Vega, who's you probably saw them in my uh, discography or whatever. I did, yeah. That was they, it, the singer of that band, and Dan Reynolds, the singer of Imagine Dragons, got married in like 2012 or something. So, so he was always around. He would come by our uh, stuff we were doing with Nico Vega when I was producing them in the studio. Eventually, I started working on her solo album, and he was always around for that. So then, I don't know, it just it, over a pretty long, you know, a year and a half, two years, eventually, like, I kind of got up the, uh, or it just seemed sort of obvious at some point. You're like, dude, why don't we uh, let's try doing some stuff together, you know? So that that was 2014, 15, 2015. Um, and we just started writing together. He was on tour at first. Mm-hmm. I would just send him tracks, stuff I was coming up with, and he would do uh, top line you know vocals and melody they were on the tour for the previous album at the time and then they ended up taking a year off so over that time we wrote like about 22 songs together and uh tell me if i'm getting off track here from the outside like i look at these bullet points and i think well how did all of this come together like what is the what is the roadmap to all of this yeah well i think my my, i think my map has been a bit circuitous so i was producing trying to do basically the like the old school like what i refer like the old school producer thing like you take a band they got some songs you do the pre-production you tweak the songs you bring them in the studio you track the drums blah 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 so i was doing that and then uh i don't know at some point i just felt like i mean i had grown up playing in bands and writing Mm -hmm. writing our own songs you know experiencing that great feeling of writing and creating i felt like with the with the straight producing thing, I just didn't feel like I had enough ownership over it. Or like, you know, in like my day-to-day life, it's like you your buddy comes over and it's like, Oh, what have you been working on? And you play him something and and you're like, they're like, huh, I don't know. And you're like, Well, but check out the snare sound, you know? <laughs> it's like I just didn't feel I wanted I really just wanted to make something that was mine, or at least more mine. And I felt that I had the ability to do that. I mean, I was a multi-instrumentalist, so, you know, maybe I'd be in the studio with a band and I'd be like, man, I could be crushing these parts. I mean, and then I hope that doesn't, you know. No, I totally, that's the, isn't that frustrating when you're behind the board and you're listening to, like in my case, I mean, I I hear drummers struggling with certain things and I just think, oh my God, we could be out of here have the song done and ha- be like maybe through another one by the time yeah. this guy, you know, figures this out. And then it's like, cool, dude, I'm going to go get drunk. You fix all my shit. Just saying that as the producer, you then have the cleanup job. And that's just a job that, in my opinion, it sucks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really puts the, that puts the, the, the burden on on the producer and the engineer to really like make up for where some musicians can be lazy in yeah in laying down their parts and maybe this was also like 2006 2007 and it was kind of like a bit more of a beat detective era <laughs> than maybe it is right now so there was a lot of that um but i still enjoyed it but like i said i just i just didn't i felt like it wasn't necessarily i had something uh to bring to it that would that would like just satisfy me a little bit more mm-hmm. but then it's like how do you change like that how do you become a writer like how do you what does that mean like like as far as practically like getting uh doing it professionally because a producer like sometimes okay i'm i'm waiting for a project to come along you know like When's someone going to call me and say, hey, I'm going to give you $2,000 to do my record, you know, <laughs> and or whatever. And uh, I kind of just decided I'm like, I want to be a songwriter or, you know, music writer, really. Mm. And I'm just going to start doing it. Like, I don't care. Like, there's no nobody's going to be telling me like you, you oh, we need these two songs by then. Like, there's no one telling me anything. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to be my own drive and and just try to do as much as I can and get and get better at it. <clears throat> I think that was about 2013. That was just like when my focus changed. Since then, I've never 
diverted from that. I've never felt like I wanted to do something else. So that was around the time of Nico Vega, Lead to Light album. Yeah, because I did co-writing on that. So did your epiphany kind of happen as that album was being done or did it happen after? Um, It was over a couple of years. I think after that album, because it was really drawn out over like a, like a period of like three years or something. So, I mean, when I even now, you know, when I get through, like when I got the tail end of producing these Imagine Dragon songs, you're like, it's always hard work. And, and uh, yeah, so I don't know about you. Like sometimes after you finish a project, you're like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to work with those guys again, or I'm never going to, or yeah. I'm never going to do, do the process like that again. Right. 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 Or just like, cause you know, it's just, it's just, a, it's a lot of work and it's, it's very, it's emotionally, uh, I don't know, taxing, but you know what I mean? It's just like, because you're, you know, you listen to a song a thousand times and you're trying to get that energy from it. You're trying to get that feeling where you're like, this, this is awesome. And like, I don't care how good your song is. Like you listen to it a thousand times, like in a short period of time, it's not going to sound good. <laughs> it's, or it's not going to make, it's not going to give you that feeling, whatever. But uh, yeah, I think after that album, it was another step towards, okay, this is, this is really where I want to be. I really want to be more on the, more on the, on the creative side, if you will. But you, you're lucky in the sense that you do, I mean, it's like muscles that you're you're building, and while you're building the songwriting muscle, you also have the muscles to play all these different instruments. But you also have the muscles to record as well. So you kind of have this triple threat uh, going on in your life of <laughs> triple threat, Tim. That's good. That'd be very modern. Yeah, I coined it triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get a royalty. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you do, you really, you have all these things. I mean, some engineers, uh, some producers don't have any musical ability whatsoever. And then you have, you know, there's, there seems to be an, an enormous amount of drummers and bass players who are producers. Yeah. Uh, It makes a lot of sense to me as I'm sure it does to you, you know? I think so, because I think from the drummer perspective, I always, you know, you're always observing from behind everybody you're seeing the bigger picture you're seeing the audience and all the different players in the band and oh this is how this all works and i'm sitting back here driving yeah and it's like you're so the arrangement is probably more in your head than say for like a guitar player so when you're producing yeah it's all about getting the arrangement and um yeah bass players too because that bass player if you're going to be a good bass player you have you have to be a team player (laughs) yeah you know so you have these these all these different things, but you made a conscious decision to really go down the songwriting hole, so to speak. Now, did your relationship with Dan come before your relationship with Nico? No, no, it was the other way around. I started working with Nico Vega in 2008. Um, they had done a record with a, with a producer. It wasn't working out. I was just a friend of the drummers from high school. And uh, he, you know, he really trusted me and the other guys... And the label were like, who the hell? Okay, your buddy is going to do the record. That's that's the new plan. Like, <laughs> uh. it was actually MySpace records. They had a, a, a label um, for a little bit there. But I, I went in and I did uh, I did a quick demo uh, just in the rehearsal space and, and ended up getting hired for the job. So I did their first record, continued to work with them. That was 2008. I think it was about 2011, 2012. Dan and Asia met. Asia's the singer, Nico Vega. Dan, the singer of Imagine Dragons. They started, you know, dating, living together, and then I was, and then he was around a bunch. You and Dan began doing a lot of co-writing. Yeah, well, it took it took a long time, and um, you know, we actually went on tour with them too. Nico Vega, I, I ended up playing bass for them on this tour, opening for Imagine Dragons. It was like, you know, an arena tour, and I was just like, I gotta do this. <laughs> um, so yeah, I ended up doing that. And then after that, I started working on a solo record for Asia. And what we did was we rented a house in, in Las Vegas, and it was right in their neighborhood where Dan and Asia live. And so, and he was off tour, so he was he was working on uh, Smoke and Mirrors, their second record. So he'd be around, and he'd come by, you know, every two days, and we'd play him what we were working on, and um, he loved it. He was really supportive. Then I, then I moved into their house. This is how you do it. This is the secret to success. You got to move in to the rock star's house. <laughs> no, it's a joke because they they bought a house in in LA just as a kind of you know as an LA place had a guest house and I was working a lot with Asia. She's like, you can take the guest house and it'll be your studio. And I was like, that's amazing, man. 
still paid rent for it. But <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so I'm back there. I'm working with Asia. It was probably another, you know, three or four months. And, and Asia said to me, she's like, you should really work with Dan. You know, you should really send Dan some tracks. And, you know, I think you guys would write great together. Hmm. And I, I was just nervous and I, and I didn't want to be, I didn't want to, yeah, I didn't want to be like the dude who's like, hey man, um, you know, like, <laughs> This is like, I read something specifically, I remember it was like in BMI newsletter or something that was like, if it's a, if the writer's bigger than you, they should approach you. Oh. So I'm like, I'm going to wait till he approaches me. All right, cool. It never happened. No, <laughs> no so eventually, I don't know. He was, I remember Asia was out of time. He was at home by himself. I was in the back. I'm like, I'm just going to walk over there and be like, hey, dude, let's do some writing together. Like, this isn't even a big, like, I you know built it up in my mind. It was some big deal. But anyway, I just went over and was like, hey, you know, why don't I send you some tracks? You know, see, see what you think. And if you want to write on them, that's great. And he's like, yeah, do it. So yeah, then I just, I kind of like, was like freaking out for a couple of days or whatever <laughs> and just coming up with music and uh yeah just ended up sending them to him and uh he really we really liked uh, a couple of them wrote some songs those and those are the first ones that we did yeah from the songwriting like in general do you feel that people are above board when it comes to you know giving credit where credit is due right well in general i think it's all over the map and my experience is that Mike, which is wonderful, is that the people who are really on a high level, like Dan and his team, they are very upfront and very mellow. And because I was really nervous, actually, because it was very, it was a, it was a very casual experience. And and the cool, and the cool thing is, over the over the years, I think for every, imagine you have the same experience. Like when you're trying to transition into being a professional and trying to have those like money conversations. And it's like the worst. And, you know, and you're trying to be like, it's like, where, how do you time it? You know, like, do you say before you do something like, hey, what's the, hey, what's the bread, man? Like, <laughs> or what, you know, how do you uh, approach that? Um, that was very difficult. And like, I've had things, crazy stuff, like, you know, relationships completely fall apart over just little stupid money things, you know? Um, so, over those experiences, you know, when, when it came time to this one, and even when I was working with Asia previous to that, I don't know, I just came to a place where I was like, I'm just not going to worry about it. I mean, at least not until the song's like coming out or we're really getting close to being over, you know, I'm not going to approach a writing situation and say, I mean, I will, I will say it to someone if I start writing something, I'll just be like, just so you know, I'm all 50-50, you know? I mean, in, in like, I mean, this is we're talking about like, if we're, you know, maybe not if I'm writing with like, Dan or if I'm writing with, we, we ended up talking about, I can tell you about that, but, um, <clears throat> I'll just say to someone, yeah, I'm 50, 50, like, just so you know, it's all like, which I think is, is standard and it's just fair and it's just cool and it's mellow. And maybe you did a little bit more. Maybe I did a little bit more. It's like, who cares, man? Like we need two people or however many writers there are, we need all of them pushing this song. Otherwise, and we want everyone to be happy. Yeah. We, you know what? Yeah. Last thing you want is some dumb dispute over that garbage <laughs> yeah but it's also it's tricky though because just like as you say like even bringing it up i mean do, what do you bring it up right before you're about to sit down with guitars yes or do no. you say like <laughs> at the end of the day hey so do we how, how do you want to do the split yeah no my thing the way i do it is i don't even think about it initially at all and if somebody has some sort of concern and they say hey what's the thing or or, or yeah like i said maybe i'll just say like Oh, you know, it's 50-50, like, and, and, or, or unless, unless you have, unless you're opposed to that, we can talk about that. But just so you know, like we're in this together hundred percent. That's just a good, a good vibe. And maybe I'll say that beforehand because that's just, I think it's just, a, or, or like in the phone conversation when we're planning the writing session or whatever, you know, because that's just a good vibe. Right. I don't think anyone's going to be like, whoa, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> No, I've got seniority on you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, just so you know, I work 60-40 or whatever. <laughs> I mean, so, but actually with with the situation with with Dan, it was no discussion whatsoever. Just started sending music. And like a couple of years went by and we'd written 22 songs. And I got, I got a little scared mm. because the whole thing is like with this, you know, nowadays, like, especially in like, uh, pop music or uh yeah it's like the lines are are being blurred the lines are moving what's a producer what's a writer all this stuff so like and and as as you know i'm sure like you know technically melody and lyrics i think it's still according to the law that's all a song is 
Like it's not even chords. I don't even think if you wrote the chords. But in but in the in the modern in 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 modern you know track based you know someone writes a track, someone writes a top line. The standard, as far as I know, and as far as my whole experience is, it's fifty fifty, right? Fifty mm. for the track, fifty for the top line. But I wasn't really sure. I, I didn't know. And he kept saying like he when he 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 talked to me like, man, great production on that song. And I was like, does he just think I'm a producer? Like, am I just gonna get like? producer points or like <laughs> i just got a little worried about it but so i i, I actually yeah he was around taking much of lunch and i was like hey man like you know what's what's the thing with this like and he was just like you know when the song comes out or when we're ready to put it out you know we'll talk to robert robert's uh, his lawyer and brother and we'll just figure it out and he's like and we're totally fair he's like if you think you want x you know just let us know just you know like he's like we're not like we're not like oh we're imagine dragons like we get you know 80% or whatever, you know, like it was just a really cool conversation. We we're like, sweet, awesome. And then when it actually rolled around, it was really mellow. We just had a, a Mac, their manager called me and he's like, what's the deal? Like, how do you want to do the split? This was like a week before the song came out. Because so, I, the fact of the matter is, is that while you two may, may delay the conversation, the managers and the lawyers are eventually going to come out and say, okay, we need to sort this out. We need to know what the game plan is going to be. Right. That's which is a kind of a saving grace really because then it then it does force the conversation forward and gets everybody to answer the those hard questions. Well, I don't think they have to be too hard. You know, I think um in my mind, if you're writing from scratch with somebody there's nothing existing before, it's 50-50. Okay. I mean, unless there's other some other circumstance. I mean, in the case of Imagine Dragons, I took a lesser split because I don't have a publisher. I don't have any of this I mean, I don't want to get into their personal band business, but their stuff gets divvy. The pie, their pie, their part of it gets cut up a lot. Yeah, a lot of people. And in I just, I just felt it was fair, and also um, a new writer. Like I just felt like you know, it was just like a, it wasn't fifty fifty. It was like a little, you know, I got a little less, and I, and I, that was my idea. And I was like, I'm totally cool with that. It makes sense to me, and it worked out great for me, and I'm totally happy. Tim Randolph here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. You know, Audio-Technica does have a great blog series at blog.audio-technica.com. And one of the things that you should check out on there is Audio Techniques for Video Production. It's a, it's a comprehensive guide to booming, how to use a boom pole, selecting the right shotgun mic, selecting the right handheld mic, all kinds of stuff, hiding the lavalier, wireless techniques, uh, plant mics, uh, you know, like miking the inside of a car, all things that revolve around location sound or any kind of movie production sound, you should check it out. And uh, I will put a link in the show notes to this very specific guide that they have here. So be sure and check that out, blog.audio-technica.com. All right, well, let's get back into it with our friend Tim Randolph here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Let me ask you some logistical questions of how that how that whole thing functions because I think a lot of people don't know and you don't have to give me specific amounts obviously but right so when these albums come out and these songs become part of the Imagine Mega Dragons hits. catalog <laughs> so then what where where do you see the manifestation of money right after that well um that's that that remains to be seen no no not entirely but um you know how, how bmi works it's what is on like a six six month delay or something yep. so levitate which is the first track i did with them came out in november i believe of last year i honestly i'm working with now like coulter is now my manager and his brother harry is doing legal for me i'm still in the process of kind of learning what all these sources are i mean there's well okay so i write the song in the case of Levitate, it was for a movie and it was commissioned and it was this big Sony movie. We did really well on it just because of their name, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to get Imagine Dragons. It's like a whole tie-in. You know, you know what I mean? Mm. I'm not sure I do. What I think do they mean? call it a tie-in. It just means like, okay, so Sony is kind of partnering with Imagine Dragons. Like Imagine Dragons' presence in this movie boosts the attendance so it's like they have a relationship and whatever it's, um, yeah, they just get, or it's like, it's like similar to like, they have a song in the NBA, like they just being a big name as they are, like they're going to get paid handsomely to do that. I see. So it's not just like, it's not like a, a music supervisor just throwing together a soundtrack and like picking some pop songs to be in something. It's like, there's a strategic plan there because of Imagine Dragons popularity and you put that together with a film 
that's being highly promoted with a band that's being highly promoted and you get this magic combination of yeah or it's just it's boot it's 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 another it's an asset to the movie to have them involved gotcha okay so in that case we got a fee like a writer's fee and then there was also like a producer budget so that was pretty awesome <laughs> uh, because it was just great and i'd been working for two years writing these songs and I wasn't like, oh, I need, you know, $1,000 every time I send you a track or something, you know, like we're just working. Like I wasn't making any money off it until the songs came out. And so now with the, with the album tracks, you know, there's all these different, and I, I honestly don't know all of them, but you, you know, you get your, your BMI royalties. Then there's like mechanicals mm-hmm. there's stuff from album sales. I mean, the streaming, as we all know, is, is really bad on the money side. I couldn't believe it because, you know, like I had never, I hadn't had a song, you know, I got my statement, which represented about 3 million plays uh, from the end of last year. And it was like, man. So financially, the the bigger money comes from all the other sources, like the the movie partnerships and mechanicals and, and, and BMI. Yeah. Like with BMI, there's a six month delay. Um, I won't say who, but one of the companies they work with, it took me three months to get set up in their direct deposit system. Wow. Um, I mean, I think I've never encountered, I, I was, I did a bit of like web development in my early twenties. So like, that's my other like business experience. And I've never, I mean, like the stuff you go through in music, it's just archaic. It's ridiculous. Or it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of offensive. I mean, at this point I expect it and like, I just don't worry about it. You know, as long as I got whatever, I got food on table. It's like, I know the money's going to come. It might take a year. So let me ask you that. In in the interim, all these different things you're doing, how are you sustaining an income? Like where are you, do you have side jobs? Are you, what what are you doing in between all of this to sustain yourself? Oh, well, I still have a little bit of programming work that I do. It's very minor, but I, I built an application for this music merchandising company. And so I do a little bit of maintenance on that. So that brings in some money every month. You said website development, but what are we talking here? Built an application for them that uh, basically it's like manages their whole uh, operation. Oh, <laughs> yet another layer. Now you're a quadruple threat. I mean, I, I don't even like, I did my own website on Squarespace. Like I'm not like... <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah no i guess i I developed that skill too uh early on when i moved to new york just to just to like get by because we had like six bucks an hour at a studio and trying to live in new york yeah not so easy interesting okay so no i have that and then i'm i'm really lucky in that i i and i bought an apartment in new york in like 2009 at the like bottom of the market and so now i rent that out okay that Ooh. was a smart move yeah, so I get a little bit of money every month for that. So I do that, that, and then yeah, royalties. So it's all just like little streams, but it's all it's all pretty much adding up. I mean, the last six months, my savings was eh, slowly going down. <laughs> let me let me talk to you about that, if I may. Are you? Do you consider yourself good with your money? Are you a disciplined um, saver, or do you like much, to spend? Much much better than I was when I was younger. It's just gotten better and it's all it's so there's a uh, spectrum there so i'm i'm a you know i'm a musician space cadet uh, yeah i've gotten to a place where i feel i'm successfully like managing successfully yeah managing to just to just be okay you know and and to yeah and to live like a totally acceptable lifestyle to me and i mean i bought this place i didn't i couldn't buy a place in la i could have but I just felt like it would have put me in a, in a stretch. I would have been like on the hook for a bunch of money every month. And I didn't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to be stressed. Out. I want to be making music. I don't want to be like, oh shit. Or, oh, I got to take this gig because I need the money. Like not a know? good position to be in. Yeah. Well, so the, the, the house, uh, in that you're in right now that Idlewild, is yeah. steam still being built by me. By you. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. You're holding back Fine. on me, man. No, but this, I am, I'm really a hack. But I, I, I do, I, I tend to like, I built my own like LA2A and stuff. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I, I have to hold myself back from taking on projects. Like, I had this like 87 uh, Land Cruiser when I was in LA. And I mean, I was like, 
learning, uh, changing fuel pumps and doing this ridiculous. And I love just getting my head into these kinds of things. But yeah, you can spread yourself way too thin. Will you be building a studio within this new house? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a studio uh, sort of, it's, you know, I think, I guess, think of it more of like a production space. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not going to be like, I was debating because I have like two rooms and I was like, oh, I can make the small room, the control room, more like standard studio. But I feel like it's going to be a lot more like me working with somebody else we're going to be in this, even want to be in the same room, you know? Wow. You, you do a lot of different things. I, I feel like that's really an yeah. asset to me. Like, like music 2017. I feel like it's, you know, yeah. I feel like I have put myself in a good position because yeah, it's like, if you're just like purely an engineer, like I, I really respect the art of engineering and I, and I almost, I wish, you know, I could be like a Shelly Yakis or whatever. I could be like, this. I mean, there's something so beautiful about just, uh, getting that art, um, or being you know having having that that be your you know having a really strong focus, unlike what I do, like doing a bit of everything, and being like fucking amazing at one thing. Um, but I think yeah, I'm guessing I'm, that it's pretty hard to do that as a career. I definitely you know juggle three different things, uh, or well technically four with being a parent. But so I've had numerous email conversations with Coulter Reynolds. Oh, nice. So he's a great dude. Yeah. Tell me about how that relationship started. And at what point in your, in your process, did this come up for you to have a manager? It's a very new relationship. Um, we, I mean, I've known him for a while, but we, we just like formalized it um, a couple months ago. But the cool thing about that and the cool thing about my relationship with Dan is in both those cases, I remember I was listening to your, podcast with um oh with Jakir King yeah that was just hearing that I just loved listening to that podcast what what he what he was saying about you asked him the question I think like you were like what do you do like do you lay back like when there's a potential job like do you do you go hey buddy I want to work I want to do this or do you just kind of be like "Eh, yeah it's cool whatever (laughs) um and I I've always tried to take like the mellow approach you know, and not really, and like, you know, I want to just, I want people to be like, Tim's really talented. I want to work with him. I'm going to call him and say, Hey man, let's work together. But my actual experience is that the the real, um, step ups, which is not a word that I made in my career. have come from me actually taking the initiative. And so with the Dan thing, like I walked into his house, (laughs) Hey man, do you want to write some songs together? <laughs> and if I hadn't done that, like we may not be doing it. Like this may have never happened. Same thing. But just so the audience knows, we don't advise just randomly walking oh, into people's houses. I do. That <laughs> <laughs> was funny. I was I was running. Make sure you rent the the back in law first. Yeah, or bulletproof vest. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, well, no, I lived at his house. I, yeah, yeah. But um. It was funny. I was, I was going for a run the other day and there was a band playing and I was like, I just want to walk in and be like, hey guys, this sounds great. And like, could go either way. They could be like, get the fuck out of our house. Anyway, so, um, but with Coulter, you know, I was I was sitting around, I was up in Portland. It was right before the, the record had come out and it was a bit of a lull because like I'd done the songs, but the songs were done like, you know, a few months before. And so I'm like, oh, what am I doing now? And um, I always felt like, I feel like I work really well when I have a focus like Dan Reynolds needs some songs. I'm going to go and I'm going to make some songs for Dan Reynolds or Matt, you know, Imagine Dragons. Yeah, it just gives, you know, it just gives you some parameters. It gives you a focus. Whereas it's like, I'm going to get up and write music. I mean, I, I do a lot of that. Just getting up and just going for it, just creating. I try to, you know, when I'm not building a house, I try, you know, every day, sit down, piano, guitar, record something, make a track. Just so, yeah, just so you get the, like you say, the muscles moving. Um, so what happened was I just felt like if I had this focus, I was I was performing much better with a focus and also dealing with these, you know, like we're talking about business stuff. It's like I just feel so ignorant and I don't and I don't want and I, I don't want to be thinking about that stuff. It's like having a lawyer for when you're doing anything. It's like you need that middle right. man to go out and to to do the thing. It's one of the, it's kind of a weird thing that it has to be that way, but it, it really helps. And so he can call people up and you go, Tim's awesome. <laughs> you know, right, right, I'm right. not going to call it. <laughs> hey man, I'm really good. 
you know, that, like this is not, <laughs> yeah. Or that whole like trying to self promote yourself. Like I just, I like cannot do it. So, um, I called his brother, Harry, actually, who's an attorney. And I, I done a little bit of stuff with him at, at, he did some stuff for me as an attorney. And, uh, I was like, Hey man, like, I know like you're not a manager and whatever, but I just feel like I really need someone to, to help me out. And I feel like, like I just explained to you, like when I have this focus, I feel like I'm doing so much better. And, um, he was like, cool. Well, let's kind of figure out a good relationship. He's like, I don't want to be your manager, manager, but you know, we'll, 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 we can, let's work together. And then Coulter is kind of getting into the game. He's got like one other producer, writer, and, and yeah, and he was a big fan of the work I'd done with Dan. And so Perry was like, Hey man, like, what do you think about Coulter being your manager and I'll be your lawyer. And how about that? Did you do any research on how that, how that relationship should work or how the, the financial structure of that should work? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we kind of like started to go through it and then I was trying to sort of like, again, like, yeah, I was trying to sort of like talk to Harry directly about it. Like I was like, so, cause you're trying to figure out like, okay, like all the work I did in the past, like how much, like, do you get checks from stuff, from relationships that I, you know, set up prior to you or how, you know, how does that work? And, and I think every contract is different, but, um, we were trying to sort that out like me and him. And it was just, it was a bit awkward. I, I think, I don't think, I think I felt way more awkward than he did just because I just don't like, you know, nobody. Yeah. I don't like money discussions. Uh, especially with someone who's like supposed to be on your team, whatever. So I, I called my dad who's a lawyer. <laughs> I was like, what, what's the deal with this? And he's like, Tim, you need a lawyer. This is how it works. Oh, cause we're, you know, we're negotiating our contract and we can't, you can't do that. Like one-on-one, maybe you can, but I couldn't. And so I found another attorney so he can tell me what, you know, what are the standard numbers? How does this contract look relative to others he's seen? And, uh, yeah, we just worked it out that way. You know, oh, and, and I read, and actually Harry, because I was confused about a lot of terminology. So he, he's like, read that, you know, the, the Passman book. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you need to know about the music business. It's, it's a great book. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes for the audience. Dude, it's the best. What are your routines? Do you have routines? Do you smoke pot? Do you run? Do you pray? Do you, Ooh, what do you do? Definitely smoke pot. First <laughs> okay. thing. Um, well, no, usually coffee first, but no, um, well, no, I'm actually, I'm like super people who know me. I'm like, I'm extremely routine oriented. I like to go hiking a lot and camping. Um, so if I'm, if I'm doing that, obviously I'm not writing, but if I'm at home, it's like get up in the morning, make the coffee, sit down, um, at my setup. And, uh, <clears throat> my, my, my general go-to is like piano, just like starting with some piano chords yeah, just finding something that feels good on that day, which is really fun. Uh, and it's also, it becomes really easy the more you do it, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just do that. Try and try and write something every morning. I mean, at a certain point when I was, when I was building this up, mm. I was like, okay, there's 365 days in the year. And I start every year, like my first track of the year is zero one. I think it was 2015. I was like, this year I'm going to have more tracks than days in the year. Oh, you know, and some of them are just like chords and then maybe I had to go somewhere, you know, it's like, this is just a chord progression on the piano. And some of them are full blown 25 track, you know, things with live drums on them and whatever. For me, that, that has been uh crucial. That's yeah, that's everything for me. You know, it's not really my preference, but I just, I don't watch TV. I don't go to movies. I don't leave the house. No, <laughs> I occasionally leave the house. <laughs> I don't know. At a certain point, it was just like, I was like, this is what I do. This is what I want to do. This is my number one priority. And and thankfully, you know, I'm able to do that. When you sit down to write, you know, when you get up after, you know, post coffee and all that, do you say, okay, this, I'm going to write based on my own mood or I'm going to write based on inspiration of a record I heard last week that I haven't heard in ages or what's the motivation? What drives the writing? Um, I, sh- I think the cool thing about the morning is just like, you're so spaced out and you're not really awake yet. And you don't really, I don't, there's no conscious thought. In some situations I've gotten a thing where, you know, I sent someone some tracks and they said, oh, it needs to be more this, you know, it needs to be more that it needs to be more radio. <laughs> it's a big one. 
Um, so yeah, sometimes I will like straight up, I'll just like go through Spotify and just like, what's going on? Like, and then, you know, and then I, I, I had a big fear or when someone, uh, I mean, I've done some little stuff like in the past where like, they'll be like, we need a track for this movie. It needs to sound just like the black keys, blah, blah, blah. Except not, you know, it's, yeah, it's annoying, but you know, just like everything, try and like have some fun with it. But I was very like conscious. Like I, like I maybe put the song on for like two seconds and then turn it off. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't want to copy the song. I think you can actually do that. Like anytime I've like listened to a song and have been like, I kind of want to make a track like this. Like it never actually turns out like that. And by the time the vocal gets on, cause they're not listening to the same song. It's like, it's never been a problem. Um, but, but generally speaking, I'm just coming from a place like I'll, I'll just, it's, and I hope it doesn't sound like pretentious or whatever, but like, I, I'll just get up and I'll be like, what note am I hearing? <laughs> I don't know why. Why do I hear that note? And I'll just find it on the piano. I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna write. I'm like, I'm gonna write in this key. I'm gonna find something. I'm gonna start oh. with this. What is it? F sharp major. Where do I want to? What do I want to do? Let's try this. Or, or sometimes, what's fun is you find that note, and then you just, and then I'll create like a really spacey drone with that note. Like something uh-huh. that's just like, so it already has like a character. Um, and as much as you can do with it, like I'm now I'm still going to have this face to be like, now I'm going to like take the note and I'm going to run it through an amp and I'm going to stereo mic it in the room and then I'm going to filter it. You know, like, so you really have this, you have a, in, you already have a vibe before you have a song. And then you can like play some piano chords under that. All of a sudden you could play like one chord and it sounds like the most brilliant piano chord that has ever been played, you know? And then you realize that you got that note from the leaf blower, you know, it was 10 the blocks 60 away. Cycle hum. It was a bee. <laughs> <laughs> or it was, or it was a UPS truck yeah. idling outside your neighbors. Well now, yeah. Cause in your city, there's so much sound around. I mean, normally, you know, I lived in New York, LA and Portland and obviously, especially in New York, you know, but here it's funny. It's just like, there's nothing. <laughs> I can hear the fridge a little bit. Where are the notes coming yeah. from? I got no notes. <laughs> Somebody turn the refri- <laughs> turn the microwave on. No, I mean you know I'm not literally hearing it. It's just you know I don't know. You just you're probably more in tune with it as as, a, as an active songwriter than most well, you, people. Yeah, you get more into it. It's just like a drum beat. You know, it's like you hear some some play some riff. What are you gonna do? It's like and you just kind of you just like you you fall into something. <laughs> you hear something maybe that maybe it's got to be tweaked a little bit and then you find it. How does that happen? It's just you know who knows. Drummer DNA. <laughs> yeah, that's a dangerous thing to have. I know that you transition more into, into songwriting, but you do have a recording background, live sound, studio yep. work. You do have that in your DNA. What did you learn from those experiences, and how does that affect what you do now as a songwriter? How does, how does the art of recording affect you as a songwriter that maybe it wouldn't affect, say, somebody who didn't have any experience with audio who's also a songwriter i mean it's totally different in that um you know a lot of times well working on like sort of the genre i'm working on it i'm not i'm not strumming an acoustic you know i mean i'm I'm starting with piano so it's not it's not that far off but a lot of times it's you know once i get that chord foundation then i'm working on beats and i'm working on sounds and i'm working on that you know as, as as a big part in the in the writing is that it's written around sounds and you know, it's not just like, oh, here's my great song. It goes C, G, D, you know, whatever. So, so oh, interesting. Okay. So the actual production uh, it plays a part in your absolutely, writing. Absolutely, yeah. You know, for a while, I think I was just like, I'm doing like the straight electronic thing. Like I'm writing in Logic. I'm using pretty much all samples except for maybe like a guitar or live bass. But now I'm really getting much more into using live instruments. And I mean, this is more about being a musician than being an engineer, but I figured out at least for now, like how to get the sounds that I want. And for me, it's, it's very, it's very much about like, like a lot of the stuff I'm doing now, um, my old setup in Portland, it's like, I had this really cool, do you know revival drum shop in Portland? No. If you're ever in Portland, go there because it's the best drum shop in the country, in the world. Anyway, so I got a, uh, a a 1940s Slingerland kit there, which is like rad. Mm. And I just mic that with the single coals. You know, you go on like whatever, like you go on like the gear sluts. You know, be like, how do you make a drum kit? Okay, kick in, kick out, kick sub, snare top, snare bottom, tom top, tom bottom. It's like, 
<laughs> I'm so sick of that. And they're not, you know, that's cool. There's great records that have been made that way. And if people want that sound, that's great. But like, yeah, I just feel like I've found the way for me. It's like, at least, you know, where I'm at right now, like, uh, I just love that one mic sound. And and yeah, having that whole experience through auto, going through all that stuff, miking the kick with three mics, and then, you know, doing and going through all those processes of, yeah, it absolutely informs what I do. And hopefully, mm. you know, I really want to move more towards using live instruments in, in interesting ways. Say you got a snare, you want to record a snare. Like, what does it sound like with the 57 right on it? What does it sound like with... 67 and overhead what does it sound like with two mics in the room you know how does that affect everything how does the compression affect the decay of the drum and how is that gonna affect your the groove of the song and correct me if i'm wrong it seems like sound and your knowledge of sound directly impacts your writing and plays a major role in it and i know i kind of said that earlier but just to put a, a finer point on it you probably utilize tones, room tones, things like, you know, the pumping of a compressor that can, that, that can occur, that could become part of a, the songwriting process just as much as strumming a guitar with three chords. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's, the, you know, because it's, it's really like sometimes you want to start a song with the drums it's just fun. Mm -hmm. I try not to do it all the time. It's just a different result, you know? And so does is this where, like you were talking, working with Dan earlier about like where he'd come up with the top line. Is this because you were coming up with the bed of, of sorts that he would work on yeah. top of where you would say, check it out. I have this thing. And he would go, oh, I hear I got a great melody we could put on that. It's a remote process for one. And it's it's a very... It's sort of like the hip hop thing. Like the hip, I, I assume the hip hop guys don't get together and the, the rappers in the room and he's like, how about a snare on three? You know, <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. It's like, no, the dude comes up with the beat and he sends it to the guy and the guy raps over it. And that's how it's, that's how it's done. So that's, that's pretty much, you know, at least initially, that's how it gets done. A lot of situations I'm in now. Interesting. But at first, you know, there's there's a kind of a as a as a classic musician, there's a bit there's a reluctance reluctance to that, and it feels like you're like, oh, that's not really is that that's kind of weird, you know. But but as I've gotten into doing it, I actually love it. And then we came together in the studio for the final version, you know, and worked together, worked with Wayne, the guitar player, got the sound, did more of a a conventional production thing. But um, it allows you to have that private moment both both me as the track maker and him as this as the a top liner to kind of yeah really get like personal with it in a way that maybe you wouldn't if i was like sitting in your face or making comments or you know hmm. oh i don't know that's about interesting. that mm -hmm. i don't know about that part it's like yeah that's hell but it also creates a more flushed out demo oh yeah i mean the demos they almost wanted to put the demos out i had to be like guys i really think we can beat these sounds levitate was a demo levitate the, the levitate that's yeah. out is the demo yeah. really that you did in logic oh yeah wow okay i'm gonna have to go and digest <laughs> that it might be uh, obvious but 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 the, it might be but, obvious. i'll put a i'm gonna put a link in the show notes uh on spotify for but levitate. the cool thing is is that well no he there is a guitar solo that was added later but the the, the uh, most of it is the demo and um but I think, you know, and, and, and if, when I hear that, I go, oh, I mean, I, we, we didn't have any time. I would have loved to go back and, and done a bunch of stuff on it and maybe made it <clears throat> a little more big sonically. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's like the song that, that matters, really. Wow. Well, that's, that's a great note to end on, actually. <laughs> uh, well, dude, thank you so much for, for chatting. And uh, I got, we got to thank uh, Coulter for uh, hooking us up here. And I'm glad that you're a fan of the show. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, man. Well, it's um, been a great talk. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. Well, right on, man. Take care. Awesome, dude. And uh, thanks for being on. Yeah, yeah. Have a good day. Tim Randolph here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. As uh, George Prepard used to say, for those of you that used to watch the A-Team in the 80s, remember the A-Team? I love it when a plan comes together is what he used to say. I love it when a show comes together. So, uh yeah, another show down, number 142. So uh, thanks again for listening. We are out of time. And I want to thank everybody. Of course, I want to thank Tim, of course, for being on the show. And, uh, you know, we got to thank our buddy, Mr. Cliff Trisdell and Mr. Chuck Smith and Mr. Cole Williams. And we want to thank our sponsors, Gearslets.com, Focal Monitors, Audio Technica, 
Lawton Audio and Universal Audio. And of course, as usual, I appreciate the time you take. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.